You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.nbcocala.com. We are going to be getting into the Word tonight. As you know, Wednesday nights, I believe it's the 19th week that we are in the series, Real Life. And we're kind of tag-teaming it between Pastor Tim, myself, Pastor John, Pastor Mike. We're all jumping in here and taking real-life issues. A lot of the issues that we get when people come to us and say, I need you to pray with me. I need counsel. I need help regarding this. And we're taking those areas that through the years have consistently come up, those real-life issues. And we're trying to, in the half an hour that we have on a Wednesday night, be able to put in a very concise form, give you nuggets and truths that will not only help you, but empower you to be able to help others because you're believers and you're supposed to go out and reach others with the gospel too. On Sundays, we're learning about the gospel, the good news. So on Wednesday night, it's a very practical time to come together and to be encouraged in the word tonight. The subject that we are on in real life happens to be uh, death and loss. And I looked at my husband and I said, are you kidding me? You know, because Because actually eight weeks ago, I stood right here and I ministered real life. And three days later, my father had a stroke that ended up taking his life. And so uh, I suppose it would be eight weeks, no, two months tomorrow that we laid my dad to rest. And that's my dad here in Florida, uh, the one that that raised me and everything I do. I'm like a lot of y'all. I have two dads and, you know, marriage and divorce and remarriage and everything. And I love them all dearly. In fact, I'm praying for my dad in Georgia even more, 84 84 years young. You know, I'm, I'm speaking blessing over him because this is the first time I've lost a parent. And it hurts. How many of you have lost a parent? A lot of us, it's, it's a familiar pain and it's something all of us are probably going to go through. Pastor Tim lost his parents 16 years ago, lost his dad 20 years ago, lost his mother. And I never fully understood until the last eight weeks. So we are talking tonight about the subject of death and loss. It's a heavy one, but we have good news. I, who, who made the set list for tonight? I don't know if the guys left. I don't know if that was my Lee. Ah, Holy Spirit is good. Every single song, some of the scriptures that I'm using tonight were found in those songs that we declared. And if you go back and watch the archive to get this message again, I encourage you to sing your way through praise and worship again. And maybe even after the message, go back and sing your way through those songs again, because our healing is in his hands. And no matter what we face, he can get us through. I, I tell my mom, as we begin our journey into grief and into morning. I tell her, I said, mom, listen, I've been married 27 years, been in the ministry and I've seen many, many, many women lose their husbands. And I've seen them go on and have happy lives. I've seen them restored. It doesn't happen overnight and it, it's not an easy process. I've seen some get stalled and get sick and pass away themselves, but I've seen others dig in and grab hold of the word of God and receive the comfort, comfort and be able to grab hold of a, a new vision for their life. So I, I am just crazy enough and desperate enough to believe that real help comes from God. So tonight we are looking at the issue of death and loss. Pastor Tim teaches us life is always a cycle, a constant cycle of crisis and process. 
And I think death is probably one of the worst ones that we're going to have to experience and then process out. But there's good news tonight. C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian authors, teachers of, of our time, he wrote a very profound work called A Grief Observed. And he said, to say that death does not matter, well, you may as well say that birth doesn't matter. And what he was referring to is there are those teachers that say, we really don't need to be teaching on death. Death is the end of the line. Can't change anything. Once you breathe your last, last breath, whatever's, whatever's been done is done. Whatever, you know, whatever choices you made is done. No more chances. However, think about this. How many of you women, when you were carrying your children, went to childbirth classes and you got written husbands you had to go to and you had to learn to breathe and you had to learn how to get ready for pain and get ready for, you know, whatever birth was going to entail. But how many times do we find ourselves lacking when death comes upon someone we love and we weren't ready? We didn't prepare. We didn't build an arsenal in the word of God. We didn't know where to go. We've not, we so don't want to talk about death. And, and what happens in such a horrible time of loss and mourning and grieving that we literally don't talk about it and we don't prepare for it. Not only spiritually, but even financially. And can I just toss it in while we're at it? Don't burden your family by not keeping your affairs in order. I am so grateful, and it's difficult, but grateful that as my mom and I began to ha handle affairs and, and just, you know, things you have to do when someone that was the head of a family has passed, it was taken care of. It's not hard. It, it's, it's hard emotionally, but... We knew the decisions. Dad had gone ahead. He had thought ahead and provided for his children and his children's children. And as difficult as it is, it's also a blessing and a relief to know that he loved us that much. So some of y'all needed to hear that tonight. Dare to look death in the face and say, I'm not afraid of you. And I love my family enough to take care of them. So we, we spend all this time learning how to live. We have self-help courses. We have birthing classes. We have all these other classes, but we don't talk about grieving. We simply don't want to think about the time when we face it. We just don't. It's unpleasant. But how many of you know, most times it comes on you when you weren't expecting it. You hear people say, I never thought it would happen to me. I never thought it would happen to them. I can't believe we're going through this. Those same words came out of my mouth. I can't believe we're going through this. We'll talk about the stages of grief. But in Ecclesiastes, if you're, if you're taking notes tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, very familiar passage of scripture, talks about to everything there's a time. There's a season. Just like there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. It's appointed unto man once to die. We're all, at some point, unless we go in the rapture with Jesus, we're all going to lay down this earthly body and pass away. And we need to be ready for it. There's a time to mourn. There, I, I, I just want to read that portion of scripture. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So there's not only a time for it, there's a purpose for it. So there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up. And very important tonight, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And not only a time, but a purpose. The process of grieving, the mourning process itself is very necessary. It's very normal and it's very much needed. When you lose someone you love, 
someone that's dear to you. What is the first thing? Almost immediately after you hear the news of someone passing, it's when is the funeral? When is the viewing? People are precious. And I think that's one thing I, I am always amazed at. And I fall more in love with people. I fall more in love with Jesus day by day, but I honestly fall more in love with people because the longer I serve him and the longer I'm in the ministry, you begin to see that sometimes in the darkest of times, such good is revealed in people's hearts. And I think it's as difficult as it is, one of the most sacred things ever to be present when someone passes away and to watch the grieving and mourning process. And people immediately want to come and they want to do what? They want to pay their respects. They want to show honor. Life has value. That person, every person has value. God breathed into them the breath of life. And there came value and purpose and vision and a plan for their life. Sometimes we feel that lives are, you hear the expression, cut short. You know, that's between them and God. And we're not going to get the answers for it this side of heaven. But we can honor that life. There's a time for everything and there's a purpose. So we begin to honor the loss. One of the things we do is we mark and re- we remember. And it's very important to begin to mark and remember that person and their their value in your life. On the day that my father passed away, he passed away in Tennessee. They were gone on a trip. So when he was hospitalized and, and eventually passed away, he was far away from home. And we were there as a family. And it's also a place where every year for the past eight years... We all gather and go for two weeks at a time and just enjoy the mountains. It's beautiful. So at a place where we have some of our most amazing memories, we now also have one of our most tragic. And Tim looked at me and he said, we're going to go into Gatlinburg and we're going to do some of our favorite things. We're going to go to those places. And I thought, oh, okay. And he said, we're going to remember your dad. We're going to start right now remembering and marking how important it was that we spent those years with your dad. And we went up to this wonderful picnic area. Honestly, some of the best memories of our family. I'd always be behind my dad's pickup truck and following him with all the grandchildren spilling out of the truck and just couldn't wait to get out and go have a picnic and climb the rocks out in the creek. And I leaned over to Gabe and I said, Gabe, and we're crying. It was a rough day. It was a cold, blustery day. And I leaned over to Gabe and I said, Gabe, run down to the river and get some stones, get some rocks. And I said, they're pawpaw rocks and we're going to keep those rocks. And I, I wrote the day he passed away and I wrote pawpaw with a little heart. I have those rocks. And then we went into Gatlinburg and Tim said, we're going back to this. Uh, there's a silver tree. It's a, a jewelry store called the silver tree. And we go every year and we always bless our girls with a piece of jewelry. And he looked at me and he said, I want you to pick out a piece of jewelry and I'm wearing it tonight. And it's my daddy necklace. And you know, it was tough. It was tough to stand there. It was tough to know I'm buying something to remember him by. These were difficult things, but it was important. And it was important that within hours of him passing, I was wanting to mark the value of him in my life and that he had walked those streets and good times had been had there. So a very important step in that grieving process is to begin to pay your respects, to honor the loss, to mark and remember, because here's, here's the kicker. You don't want to carry the grief with you for the rest of your life. And you know, the reason we have headstones and we bury people in the ground and we make a marker and we mark things and we go to a viewing is because there is a time to grieve, 
But we're not going to grieve every day for the rest of our lives. There will come a process and a mourning, but it will come to an end. And we'll see that. But it's important that we begin to follow out as God would lead. You follow out and walk that process. But, you know, as we rode through that mountains, I, I had told my mother, we were eating at one of our favorite restaurants, and it was hard. We cried through our meal. But I looked at her and I said, Mom, we'll come back and we will laugh here again. We will be happy here again. And we were just beginning to speak out of our mouths. So honor the lost. Begin to mark and remember because I want you to know you're not going to grieve forever. Some of you feel, and we all feel this way at times in our life, when we've suffered a tragic loss, that you'll feel that way forever. You ever remember junior high and high school, those first broken hearts? awful, awful. And you just, you're like, will I ever be whole again? It's the first time you gave your little innocent heart away. And it usually comes back crushed. It it rarely ends well. If you're young, I'm sorry. That's just life. You don't often get it right at 12 and 15 years old, but nothing hurts, you know, and you grieve that little loss. In Isaiah 53, we are reminded that Jesus, and it's the prophecy, Isaiah the prophet is saying, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that is where Jesus became known as the man, capital M, the man of sorrows, meaning he literally carried our griefs and sorrows. And I want you, as you begin to examine the grieving process, or you begin to minister to someone that you know is grieving from the get go, remind them this won't be forever. You won't always feel this amount of pain. You won't always be grieving and, and carrying that sorrow. And not just because you can will it to happen. And not just because with time it fades. But there is someone that has provided a sacrifice. Jesus took literal pain. And he bore and lifted and carried away your grief and your sorrow. So that you wouldn't have to walk around carrying it. Amen? Isaiah 53 is very important. Here's a nice quote. I like this. I found it on a funeral website and it said in every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. So every time your heart is broken, I want you to expect God to show up. Psalm 34 tells us that he is near Psalm 34 is fabulous start to finish, but Psalm 34 tells us that he is near to those of a broken heart and saves those that have a contrite spirit. God is never closer to you than when your heart is breaking. So we begin a grieving process and you want to complete it. You want to follow it all the way out because you want to grieve and heal totally. You want it to be a complete work. God does complete works. He sees the end from the beginning. So he knows where you are along the pathway. Grief is normal, necessary. It's a good grief. And I think sometimes in faith circles and Christian circles, again, with the unpleasantness and, well, you know, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And it's very much a put on and an overconfessed hypiness rather than just saying, I hurt like I've never hurt before. And in my mind and in my heart, I don't think I'll ever be well. But this I know because the word tells me he bore my griefs. He bore my sorrows. That's a good confession. That's where God says I can help you. He can't help what you don't admit you're struggling with. And people are not going to be blessed and encouraged. There are people that need you to properly govern and walk out the grieving process because one day it's going to help them. It's wonderful to walk through a really difficult time and come out. I always like to describe it. You come out with like nuggets in your pocket, just like rocks of truth that when somebody else needs it and you no longer need it like you used to, you can pull it out and you can pass it on. Just like those rocks that Gabe fished out of the river that day. 
you know, a, a real nugget of truth that you know was truth for you when you needed it most. You can pass it on. So we are in the stages of grieving. Psych- psychiatry, psychology defines it as the five stages of grief made popular by a psychiatrist. Her name was Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She studied and, and counseled with 500 terminally ill patients and their families back in 1969. She was one of the pioneering works of modern psychology that went in and said, we need help on learning how to die and for our families to survive it and be able to come to terms with it. It just hadn't been properly dealt with. Again, that stigma of it's really unpleasant. I'd rather not talk about it. It doesn't really matter anyway. It matters a great deal. The five stages of grief from this study, and it, there's variations on it now. Again, it's been 40, 50 years since this, 40, 40 plus years. So it's been defined and refined and, and worked out. A lot of Christian uh, ministries in particular here have taken that these stages of grief and they fleshed them out with word and with scripture and really made it impacting. So it's not just psychological stages. It's really addressing the whole man's spirit, soul, and body. Those stages are denial. I I can't believe this is happening to me. How many of you have ever said that? I can't believe that we're here. It's a numbness. That's the first stage. Anger. Second stage, often released toward others, often toward God. I'm mad and I hate that this happened. Almost like gritting through your teeth. Can you relate? You felt that way. Bargaining, especially with somebody terminally ill or maybe a drawn out divorce or a result of sin or something. You know, a lot of times the grief that we bear, we feel it's only validated if it came about as a natural course of life, like a long-term illness or a tragic accident. But there are some griefs that come about as a result of sin and poor choices. And I think they hurt in a deeper way and often for a longer period of time because we're too ashamed to admit that we're grieving so deeply. Almost as if, well, if it wasn't meant to be, let's say if you were in a wrong relationship and it guts your heart and soul when it ends. Good that it ended, but you're grieving. You need to be able to talk to someone about that. And we'll talk about getting counseling, but you need to be able to open up above all with God. He understands you. He knows why you made the wrong choice in the first place. And he understands that grief as a result of sin is still very real grief. And his promises, you know, in Psalm 34, we'll get there in a moment, but it's, you know, actually I skipped that part. Excuse me. We'll go back. Psalm 34. What's the first thing you do when tragedy strikes, when your heart is broken, you cry in Psalm 34, where it's talking about the Lord is near to those of a broken heart just before it. In verse 17, I believe it is, it says the righteous cry and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their trouble. God hears, God hears and he delivers. So no matter how you got there, bargaining, go back to that third step of bargaining. It's that place where you're saying, if only this, or if I could just see how many of you remember hearing, you know, the rapture was going to come in 1982 when I was about to graduate high school, 1982, it was huge. Wait, isn't Jesus like going to come in a week? Didn't we hear that in May? You know, billboards are, it's just foolish. No man knows the day or the hour. But I was so afraid in 1982 and I wanted to graduate. So I would tell God all the time, God, I really want to walk in my cap and gown. I really wanted to. Can you just wait? I know it's 1982, but can I please just graduate high school? You know, and sometimes when we're faced with something that we know is coming truly, an illness, I have friends 
We are in this age where we are beginning to care for parents. And you know that a parting is coming. And you want to do everything you can to love them and honor them and encourage them. And yet you have to prepare. And sometimes we enter into that bargaining stage. The next stage of grief. So far we have denial, anger, bargaining. Fourth stage. And sometimes this one feels to be the longest and most drawn out is depression. And by depression, it's just a sad disconnecting with life. You feel beat up and beat down emotionally, overwhelmed and disorganized. I don't know where to start to get my life back on track. So you just tend to separate. But then, thankfully, just as we sang tonight, pain may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The final stage is acceptance. And you know somebody is beginning to accept death or tragedy that has occurred and their grief is beginning to lift because you see them beginning to reorganize their life, filling in new roles. You hear about new vision, new insight. You hear them beginning to share truths that God has shown them in this path that they've just walked out over the last period of time. Expressions of pain become more honest without a fear of uh, being abandoned or denial or avoidance. It's like they can just truly sit down and say, yeah, this happened. I walked through it. Let me show you how God helped me. It's been hard, but I'm so thankful for where I am. That's acceptance. That's how you know somebody's making it all the way through. Now, again, this is a psychological model. All of these steps may not occur in every person or even in that order. But it gives you a little something to go on. If you're dealing with somebody that you love and they're hurting and you're trying to locate where they are in their process of healing. The goal in grieving is not to force someone to get back to normal. It's to love them enough and encourage them enough to embrace the new normal. Because you know what? Sometimes your life changes and it never will be the same again. And that's a grieving. That's a grieving and you have to let go of what was. But God is there. We sang again tonight. I just can't believe how the songs just interweave with what we're talking about. He's, he's holds our past. He holds our present. He holds our future. You don't need to be afraid. Even a future that doesn't look like what you thought it would look like. God says his thoughts towards you are of good and not of evil to give you a future and a what? A hope. A hope. We'll talk about the importance of hope. Let's move on. When we face death and grieving and mourning, a lot of times we don't want to face it truthfully just because we're afraid of it. C.S. Lewis, again, in the book, A Grief Observed, said, no one ever told me that grief felt so much like fear. And the fear comes from the unknown and the loss of security. If my security is in a person, if my security is in my stuff, my livelihood, my pretty house, even if, even if your husband's amazing, your family's amazing, if your security is fully in that, grief and tragedy will be even harder to bear. As a Christian, we're instructed to always keep our faith and our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and in no one else. Because everything else in this earth is temporal. Now, when you go through grieving, knowledge is power. So I encourage you to get educated if you can. If you're a member of Meadowbrook Church and you want to get help, 
you're ready to deal. We have what we call grief share. It meets every Thursday night here at the church. And that's for family members that are walking through grief. You've had a devastating tragedy and you want to get better. But do me a favor, call pastoral care first. A lot of times they want to do a sit down with you. Sometimes the the grief is particularly tragic and sometimes a one-on-one sure feels great to have somebody listen to you, pray with you, and then they'll get you signed up for the course and you can start attending grief share. We also have divorce care and divorce care for kids. And those I believe start back up. Is it in August? In August. So we make those available to you as well. You need extra support and extra attention when you're dealing with life changes such as death and divorce and tragedy. How many of you know God is your helper, but he does expect you to cooperate. And sometimes it just means standing up and saying, I need help. And I think I need a little more than, you know, obviously what I've been doing is not getting me there. So maybe somebody can come and help get you unstuck. Have you ever been stuck? We want to get unstuck. Let's move on. How should a Christian approach death and loss and grieving? Well, we could grin and bear it. And we could grit our teeth and just tough it out. Or we could remember that we have a blessed hope. There is one who bore our sorrows. And he's full of grace and full of mercy. In Hebrews 4, in Hebrews 4, we hear about a high priest, Jesus He's a best friend and he's a high priest who's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I want you to look at Hebrews 4, 1 through 16. Actually, we're not going to read the whole chapter. Go to verse 14. Seeing then that we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with and be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted as we are and yet without sin. So therefore let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. That's, that's a mouthful and it's something to chew on and you want to write it down in your notes. Hebrews four, 14 through 16, because I want you to know when you're hurting the most, you have someone that loves you and understands. And it just so happens to be the same someone that gave his life for you. And he walked it out in the flesh, yet without sin. And so he's acquainted with what it feels like to grieve and to suffer and to be lonely and to feel separated. He's acquainted with that. Now, see, he fully understood the father. So he didn't have the same hangups that we have. But yet he was so touched. I love that. He was touched. You ever watched something on television? You ever heard a story and it just touches your heart? That's how Jesus feels about you when you hurt. He's so touched that he turns to the father and begins to explain to the father exactly how you feel because he's been there and he knows. And so then because you have an advocate standing before the father pleading your case, you can come boldly to a throne of grace and you find grace to help in time of need. In the message, it says, and I I love the way it renders this. It's a paraphrase. The message is a paraphrase. But verse 16 says, so let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Let's take the mercy and accept the help. Love that. Sometimes the best thing you can do is say, I cannot do this on my own anymore. In your weakness, his strength is made perfect. 
And a lot of times I, I, I want to make sure I shared with this when you, when you get ready to face death, I think I skipped over it and I don't want to. When you're facing death and tragedy, get ready to learn something. Listen to this quote. I thought it was wonderful. Let me make sure I have it. Well, it said something like this. It said, just about the time you think you've lost it all, you're in the best place to gain it all. You know, when you already feel you've lost it all, what more can they take from me? What a wonderful place to be in. Because you're getting ready to gain and to gain big. Listen to this poem. It's called, I Walked a Mile with Pleasure. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chattered all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. And you know, I don't like a, a, a suffering gospel, but... What I love is knowing that God's strength is perfect in my weakness. So I don't need to be afraid of suffering. I don't need to be afraid of grieving. I don't need to be afraid of loss. That fear will keep me from embracing my life. That fear of losing will keep me from loving freely. So you see, it's really a switch about if the enemy can get you so fearful, so afraid of losing your life, so afraid of losing someone you love, so afraid of, you know, losing in this economy, what he can keep you from embracing your life and your destiny. It's fear motivated. And God is saying, perfect love cast out all fear. First, first Peter, turn with me to first Peter five. Six and seven says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. So here's a picture. I'm at that point of saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it on my own strength. Can't do it. So I humble myself where do I humble myself under the circumstances? Do I humble myself pressed down? Do I humble myself defeated? No, I humble myself under the hand of the mighty hand of God. So I'm safe under his hand. And I say, I can't do it. God cover me. I can't do it. God totally humiliate yourself in the presence of God and let him know it's all you, God. It's all you, God. If you don't do it for me, if you don't breathe life back into me, if you don't revive my soul, read the Psalms. David just ripped his clothes in two and fell down on his face and said, you know, I can't do this. God, restore my soul. I can't, something was broken. And until you've been to that level of brokenness, you don't know that God can fix it and mend it and heal it and raise you up. So what does God do in, in first Peter five, six, he says, if you humble yourselves, I will exalt you. Exalt is a lifting back up. What did he do with our, our sorrows and our griefs? He bore them. He carried them. He lifted them up. He'll literally lift them up off of, off of you. He exalts you in due time. Due time means this, an appointed season, a fixed and definite time when things are brought to a crisis, a decisive, a decisive epic, epic is spelled E-P-O-C-H in the Strong's, a decisive epic. An epic means this, a period of time in history or a person's life typically marked by notable events. In other words... It is a turning point. It is a come to Jesus meeting. It's a summit between you and God. And you're sitting down and you're saying, God, I don't have anything to offer. 
but ruin and devastation and humiliation. And I don't know if I can ever be well. And God, oh, when you have a come to Jesus meeting, you always win. You are, he's the best diplomat. We always get the best exchange rate. You come and you sit down with him and you get lifted up in due time. A season of grief and mourning will come to an end. It comes to an end. That's good news tonight. When it says to cast all your care upon him, it literally means to roll it off, to literally throw it off onto God. In the Strong's, it said, give up to God. Just give it all up to God. He does the caring for you. I love that. I read that years ago in one of the translations and it said, cast your care on God because he does the caring for you. If he were standing here, he'd say, I now release you from the job of having to care about all of this, to carry that care. I release you from that. You humble yourself and let me know you're depending on me. God says, I'm going to show up big time in your life. Even in the process of grieving, you have hope. Isaiah 61, the good news of the gospel. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the good tidings to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives, opening of prison doors to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. And to comfort all who mourn. And listen to what he does. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In other words, all of those cues and indications that you gave off. During that grieving process that let everyone know I'm grieving and I'm mourning and it is okay. You know, people wear black armbands, you know, when someone's a new widow, you treat them a certain way. It's like, be careful. They're healing. Treat them carefully. Don't ever push anybody and try to orchestrate their healing process. That's between them and God. You can, you can remind them of what the word says, but healing, you want a thorough, complete work. But at the end of that time of grieving... Beauty for ashes. In Strong's, it said literally tiaras where you used to wear morning morning cloths, clothes, dark, saggy, black clothes that would indicate I'm in mourning. And God says, I want to put a tiara on your head. I want to adorn you. I want you to feel festive again. It's okay. He gives you the oil of joy for mourning. Literally a liberal application of joy. And I I looked in the Strong's and it said so much joy that you literally get fat with joy so that you break the, the yoke of mourning. And it goes back to oxen that would be so overfed, they would literally snap the yokes off their necks. Their necks would get so big and so full. Now think about that being so depleted and chained with a yoke of mourning and grieving. And yet as you're going through that process... And doing the work and you're grieving, you're feasting on God and on his goodness and that he bore your sorrows and he carried your griefs and your, your sicknesses, your iniquity. He did all of that for you and you begin to grow fat. It's a liberal application of God's goodness and you begin to grow before soon, before long, you literally snap that yoke of bondage off of your neck. It's an appointed time, but it's a beautiful thing when it happens. And that's the good news of the gospel, literally exchanging with him, all of your sadness for all of his joy. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. Psalm 35, 30, verse 5. You want to look at that? And then Psalm 30, 11 and 12. 
Weeping endures for a night. Joy comes in the morning. Again, an appointed season. There's a time to be mourning and grieving. And there's a time where you're going to break forth with joy. Literally, it's going to dawn. The morning's going to come. That dark night will come to an end. Are you looking for a dark night to come to an end? It will come to an end. God promises, God promises us that. I have hope even in the middle of my grieving. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12 in the message, it says, God, you did it. You changed wild lamenting into whirling dance. You ripped off black mourning bands and decked me with wildflowers. And I'm about to burst out in song. I cannot keep quiet about you. God, my God, I cannot thank you enough. Now that just makes me happy. Because I think if you've ever felt so sad that it literally showed on your face. And then when the reality of all that Jesus had done for you, when you come to the end of that mourning season, it's just like... String some wildflowers together. We are having a joy fest. I have a savior. He has released me from my mourning and my grieving. And I love it. It says, God, my God, I cannot thank you enough. Even in the midst of grieving, you have a blessed hope. We have a blessed hope. In First Thessalonians, familiar passage of scripture talks about we don't sorrow like those who don't have a hope, who don't have hope. We have a hope that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, he's bringing those that are asleep in Christ with him. And then all of us are going to be caught up together with him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. If you are separated from a loved one who's died and is asleep in Jesus, they died knowing the Lord, you're separated from their physical body, but you have eternity to spend with them. And it's a blessed hope. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4. You want to make sure you read that. The message says there, you must not carry on over them like people who have nothing to look forward to, as if the grave was the last word. The grave is not the last word in our lives. And for some, it's just the beginning of a glorious eternity. People, make sure your loved ones are born again. Share with them the good news of the gospel. Now, if some of you are grieving and hurting because you weren't sure... As I was getting ready for this message, God just dropped this in my heart. He said, every loving, merciful, kind thought you have, it it originates with him. And so when they come before a righteous judge, it's also a compassionate judge. You can't change what happened on this earth. But you can rest knowing that a righteous judge If he was so kind and so loving and so compassionate to prepare a way, then trust your loved ones into his hands. Because the truth is we can't change it. And so we rest in knowing that God is in control. Amen. He doesn't want you to carry that weight. But I'm telling you now, this side of the grave, do all you can. Preach all you can. What did it say in Isaiah? The spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news. To comfort those that are a mourning, to proclaim liberty to them, to let them know the grave is not the final word. Dispel the fear of death. Fear of death is really fear of separation. But again, we sang about it tonight. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The love of God is the most holy, life changing, complete, honest love you'll ever know. In this life and in the life to come. And you are to cling to it and be assured that nothing can pull you out of his hand. Romans 3, 38 and 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing 
shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Fear of death is often fear of separation. I don't, I don't, I don't know what it'll feel like. I don't know what'll happen to me. I don't want you're in God's hands. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. You don't need to fear perfected love, cast out fear, dispel the fear of death in your life. Do all you can to reach your friends and your loved ones, and then trust them into the hands of a loving, righteous God. Amen. Tommy, I'm going to have you come on up and we're going to close with a song that we used to sing growing up. Isaiah 53 turned Isaiah 53. I've alluded to it already. And it's really the main text for me tonight in my heart because it's what gives me hope. It's what gives us hope. Even in the midst of tragedy, it gives us hope. Here's what it says. Isaiah 53, four through six. Surely he has borne our grief, our sicknesses, our weaknesses, and our distress. He carried our sorrows and our pains. Yet we ignorantly considered him stricken and smitten, afflicted by God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our guilt and iniquities. The chastisement of our peace and well-being was upon him. And with his stripes that wounded him, we are healed and made whole. As surely as Jesus saved your soul, you will smile again. You will have great reason to rejoice. He didn't just save your soul and leave you here, but he provided healing for your body and he bore away your griefs and your sorrow so that this life can be a joyful life, but you have to embrace the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus knows the incredible power of death because he defeated it. If he had not risen again, you would grieve forever. You know, we just celebrated Easter. It's an end to our grieving. It's an end to our mourning. The grave is overcome. Nothing separates us from the love of God. You do not need to fear. And that's reason to rejoice. So be patient with yourself as you grieve. Encourage those that walk through the grieving in the mourning process. What did we talk about? Honoring the loss, valuing that life. Marking and remembering the importance of a person or an event. But the most important thing you can do in the grieving process is to remember that your sorrows and your griefs have been borne away.